Hello and welcome to the Hospice Podcast. This podcast is about palliative care and we explore a range of subjects. I'm Sophie from St John's Hospice in Lancashire. Our subject today is what makes for a good death at home. So we're going to spend time with Annie and Josie who both work with patients in their own homes. Welcome to Annie and Josie. Hi Sophie. So Annie, tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do here at St John's. Well, I'm the um, lead of the most fantastic hospice at home team. All our registered nurses and senior healthcare assistants are highly experienced and resourceful. Um, This enables them to deal with the complex situations that they find out in the community. So at what stage, Annie, do your team become involved in patient care? Because when we say hospice at home, if people aren't familiar with hospice at home, at what stage yeah. at what stage do your team go in yeah. and support people? Well, really, for us, it's in the last six to eight weeks of life and um, we give ongoing support and symptom control. We educate the pa- patients and the families and we give hands-on care. That's great. Josie, tell us a little Hi. bit about your role here. Um, I'm Josie. I'm the head of the clinical nurse specialist team here at St John's. Um, So I lead a small team of clinical nurse specialists who um, provide symptom management, advice, psychological support to patients, um, usually in about the last 12 months of life. That's technically our criteria. We probably see on average people mostly um, in the last six months, I'd say. So at what stage do your paths cross in terms of your two teams? And I'm thinking if if, if your, your team, Josie, seeing people the last sort of 12 to 6 months, Annie, yours during the last 6 to 8 weeks. Is there a crossover? I think there's a crossover all the time, really. We've got a referral meeting, which is hospice-wide, each morning. And um, at that referral meeting, we discuss each patient that's referred and would decide which which service would be the best for that patient. So that's a, a decision that's made across the whole meeting, then? Yes, yeah, for all the services at the hospice. So we just make sure that the um, the right part of the whole service is going to the patient. Sounds great. So you're both working in the community. Mm-hmm. You're both working with people who choose to die at home. So tell me, why are increasingly people choosing to die at home? Um, well, historically, people always did die at home. Before the um, advent of the NHS, people often died at home. Um, families would care for their loved ones um, until the end of life, communities would rally round, you know, that was very much the commonplace. Um, Since the NHS um, was created, then more and more people started dying in hospital. Obviously, they were going into hospital for treatments, and if they deteriorated, they would stay in hospital and and die there. Um, But there is a big shift back towards Mm. dying at home. Um, Surveys have been done which show that most people, if they had the choice and the right care around them, would want to die in their own home, really. I think that's becoming much more highlighted, isn't Mm -hmm. it? And that's about people having control of their their own decision-making, really, and um, being with their loved ones in familiar Mm. places, isn't it? I think that the shift is definitely happening. Yeah. So is this a shift that's because of COVID, or was it happening before? Oh, it was happening before. Mm, definitely yeah. happening before. But I think um, COVID may well have accelerated this because mm. people um, don't want to 
go into hospital and then their loved ones can't visit them when mm -hmm. they're in hospital. So I think that we've probably, I don't know the statistics for the last year, do you? But I'm, yeah. I'm sure that the people dying at home rates will be up mm. over the last year with um, COVID. Yeah, and um, because of the impact on the hospice itself, there have been less beds to admit to into the hospice, which yeah. has had an, had an impact on the community and people dying at home. And hospitals will have had the same pressures about mm -hmm. trying to um, keep people in at home who didn't need to be in hospital. Yeah. And you, you've both been, if I'm allowed to say this, busier than ever during the past year. You were busy before. And, and, and now, you know, you're both even busier, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, people want to be at home. You hear, don't you? People like to be at home because they're in their familiar surroundings. Being at home in your familiar surroundings, is that about feeling safe because it's your home? Or, Anna, you've mentioned this to me before. Does it actually have an impact on pain? Yeah, I think it most definitely does. I think it's about being in control. And I think that, that as, um, as I mentioned before to you, Sophie, um, Dame Cecily Saunders in the 1950s came up with this concept of total pain, um, which means that you need to take in people's um, physical, psychological, social and spiritual needs and deal with all those situations to... Um, to Maintain their comfort by yes, addressing and, their and concerns and their needs, yeah, and support them at home. Um, as you say, um, you know, more and more people want to die at home, and there is that safety element, and there's the sure. control. Um, sometimes, you know, people might, before they get to the end of life, they may anticipate and have a vision of, of a very peaceful death. Um, and want that to take place at home. And when the reality comes, yeah. there may be some issues, you know, maybe it's not quite as comfortable as, as they anticipated. Okay. Um, and that can make people then fearful of being at home because they need to feel that they've got support around them to deal with those difficulties. Yeah, yeah. You know, you and we spoke that about that before, didn't we? We spoke mm. about it being a multidisciplinary team, yeah. which means there's lots of people involved in looking after somebody at home. Yeah. So, for instance, the GP and the district nurses, mm -hmm. Josie and clinical nurse specialists, the hospice at home team, mm -hmm. um, clergy, lots of different people from... Lots of different avenues. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all joining together to look after this patient at home. So people are not on their own and it's mm -hmm. all about good communication. Yeah. And that's what we see, isn't it? That when people have that good support, yeah. then a peaceful, comfortable death at home is really possible. Yes. And we see that regularly. Yeah. Um, so it's about trying to support that. So you've used the word comfortable, which is a word I, I hear used a lot. And... You're, you know, you've both got years and years of clinical experience. I, I haven't. So if it was me looking after someone at home, I might think, oh, but, I, you know, I haven't got clinical experience or I'm not a nurse and, and I wouldn't know how to keep someone comfortable at home or I don't think I can do this. So, it, you know, what, what would you say to somebody like me who was worried about that? Oops. About good communication mm -hmm. amongst health professionals and with health professionals, mm. but also and and the onus is on the health professional to teach the family as well mm -hmm. to 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 know what to do, how to turn somebody comfortably mm -hmm. and safely. Um, 
ordering specialist equipment into the home such as beds or, or slide sheets or lots of different um, tools to mm, help yeah. people stay at home mm. and manage really. And I think another thing um, that we need to do and, and we try to do is reassure people such as yourself if you were looking after a loved one at home that you are there 24 hours a day we just come in to offer our advice and support but you are the person who knows the patient best often and whilst it may seem a bit um, daunting to yeah. care for someone with palliative care needs most of what you would do anyway will be enough for them you know you you would talk to them you would hand them a drink if they needed one you would help them have a wash mm -hmm. um, and we we are there to support the people who are absolutely doing the work 24 hours a day, which okay. is the families and carers. Yes. But people need that support and reassurance that they're actually doing the right thing. Absolutely. I think that's really important, isn't mm. it? To, to, for people to know and be told that they're doing, yes. that's right, yeah. what you're doing. And this might happen. Or mm -hmm. It's about good information, isn't it? So, mm. you, you know, it, you might find that... You, the patient will eat a bit, little bit less and then mm. might not eat very much, but that's all okay. And mm. then they'll stop drinking a little bit more and, mm. and um, just taking sips and that's okay too. Yeah. But it's just explaining that really. Yeah. yeah. So I think what you're saying to me is you, you help actually educate, if educate's the right word, no, educate so. you know the carers so that they know what to expect and then mm. by virtue of that, they become more comfortable yes, yes, yeah. to someone at yes, home. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And we have got some um, booklets that we give out mm -hmm. um, that, you know, what to expect when somebody's dying, for instance, booklet. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that can be very, very useful yeah. at these times mm. because sometimes, as you said, we've been working a long time clinically and sometimes we shouldn't forget, but sometimes you do forget that little things somebody might not know. Mm. Yeah, so it's, it's good to have it written down mm. on, on paper. Yeah. Mm. It is, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Mm. And then they've got that to refer back to as well. Yeah. Which is, again, really helpful, isn't it? Mm. Because you can't remember everything, especially no. at a time mm. like this. There's, there's, there's quite an information overload. Yeah. I'm going to ask you both for your advice now on um, a situation that, that, that happened to somebody that I know. They were looking after somebody at home and there was basically conflict because lots and lots of visitors. And, you know, I can understand... You're looking after someone at home and people want to come and see that person. You want that person to have visitors. But actually, there's so many visitors. Mm -hmm. And this, this person was saying to me, I was at the end of my tether with all these visitors, but I didn't feel mm -hmm. I could turn them away. Mm -hmm. And it was actually making the job of looking after someone at home mm -hmm. even harder. Do you mean, when you say visitors, do you mean people just visiting to see the patient or carers and people that felt they had to come, you know, were they coming for a purpose? The people that were coming to see the patient, people that knew the patient was I at see. home, coming mm. to say goodbye, right. wanting this can to happen see quite a lot, can't it? Yeah. You will know this. Yeah. It often happens and it's about communicate, good communication mm. again mm -hmm. um, between the family and yourselves mm -hmm. and, and giving the family... Um, the okay to tell people that that actually mm. now's not the time and that actually this might make their symptoms worse because they mm. might become agitated or they may well be agitated and then explaining that actually there's just too many people mm. here and maybe if we we only have one or two at a time 
it would um, it would alleviate that symptom. So it's a, it's just about good communication with yeah. the family, isn't it? Yeah. And telling them that they can say, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. And most people want to help, don't yes. they, in this situation? Yes. So if you're able to say to them, oh, it's great that you're coming to see, you know, yeah. my dad or whoever. Yeah. Um, but we've got a lot of people that want to come and see him. So if I could ask you to come at this time, I'll make sure that there's just you here and then yeah. ask someone else not yeah. to come. It's how it's explained. And people would willingly often yes. do what they think is best for the patient. Right. I think it's important to also involve the patient in that decision about Absolutely. maybe they want everybody to come yeah. <laughs> maybe they like yeah. a crowd around because sometimes they do don't yeah. they they yeah. do yeah. want and they're absolutely exhausted but they still yeah. want everybody coming absolutely. in through the yeah. door still want to have a party at yeah home. yeah and absolutely. it can be hard for the families can't it because yes. not only are they getting the visitors who want to see the patient but they may also have healthcare professionals coming and care okay. is coming, and yeah. they're suddenly overwhelmed with lots of people coming to their home that they weren't very, used very to. Busy. Very overwhelming, and you must feel, you know, lots of people say they feel like the home is no longer their own. They know that they need to have these people yes. to help, but and it's important to acknowledge that with families that, you know, hear them say that. Yes. There's not a lot you can always do about that, but people need to feel that that's acknowledged yeah. at least. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And it's a good little tip to, you know, to tell these visitors to, you know, give them a little job as yes, well. Yes, exactly. You yeah, make they the want tea to tonight help. and bring it back. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> that yeah. sort of um, need that's absolutely. very much there. Yeah. Something I'm really picking up from, from both of you, and that's about the issue of control. And I know... You know, people listening to this may hear the word control and think, oh, control, that's a negative word. But I'm hearing that you're both talking about giving control to the patient. And I've mm. heard your colleagues say that, you know, one of your colleagues said to me, that was one of the big things that she'd taken away from a palliative nurse training, a mm -hmm. clinical nurse specialist training, sorry, was that it's all about giving control back to the patient. Mm. Talk to me about this. It is a big thing. It's something that we see regularly, and through your experience as a as a palliative nurse, you do recognise and see that actually what what really matters to people is that it, this is about them. Mm. Um, and sometimes we might hear people make decisions that we feel are not necessarily in their best interest. But the reason they're making it is because they can make that decision, and that's the important thing to them. Um, you know, and. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard um, the oh Tony, I've forgotten his surname. Um, he's big in palliative care. His son died of cancer a number of years ago, and Tony now um, advocates for palliative patients, and he's on different panels. Um, and his son was dying in hospital, and he said the biggest thing that made the difference was a nurse came to his son one day and said, what do you want? Yeah, and he okay. said, I want to go home, I want to have this party with my friends, yeah. and she made it happen. And yes. um, the Macmillan nurse made it happen, and Tony is ever grateful for that, and said that was what made the difference, exactly. because they handed the control back to the patient and said, well, you know, we're here giving you lots of medical treatment and so on, what do you want? Yeah. And and to give him that control made a huge difference to the end of his life, to the quality of life. So Josie, you've said the Macmillan word, and there is in this area, isn't there, quite a bit of confusion. Yes. Can you explain it for yes. us? Come on. Um, Macmillan were the charity that started palliative care clinical nurse specialists. You know, they initially funded it. But um, nowadays, palliative care is provided by different um, services. Um, in the North Lanks and South, uh, well, in the North Lanks area, 
the clinical nurse specialist team is provided by St John's Hospice. We are not funded by Macmillan, we're a separate charity. We carry out the same role, but it's a different charity. And across the country there will be different um, palliative care teams that are not Macmillan, but it's just that people associate Macmillan with us because, um, with our role, because they were the first um, people who funded this. To set it up. Set it up, yeah. That's really helpful, thank you. When you're talking about the example that you've given about where the control is given back to the patient, so so the guy can have you know the party at home, and obviously that's something that's that's really really important. I've read this this phrase: a good death is where the patient has come to terms with the fact that they are dying and they are at peace with themselves. So that to me is about life completion. How do you help someone accept? That they're coming to the end of their life if actually they're not ready to accept that because that must be a really really difficult yeah, one i think that is difficult isn't it, it? Is. Mm-hmm. and i think the reality is that um we would work hard with them um, with all these um psychological physical social and spiritual happenings within that person's life to try and 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 deal with the situations if, for example, there's young children okay. or there's animals that need to be looked after or that such like. But I I think so, not always, not everybody mm-hmm. is always ready to die. No. And I think that's yeah. got to be acknowledged too, really. Absolutely. I really agree with that because we are always working towards trying to help support people to accept what is going to happen, what's coming, yes, you know, yes. that they're going to die. Um, but we don't always achieve it, mm-hmm. but um, we do work hard to try. It is noticeable as well that the people who reach some level of acceptance have a more peaceful death than people who are still fighting um, or... Or just not ready. Who are not ready to die. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And, and again, that's that's about the control as, as, as well, isn't it? In, yeah. in terms of listening to, to what you're saying there, Josie. So there's something there, isn't there, to me about planning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to lead you now on to advanced care planning really briefly, because I know that this is, is, is a controversial subject. We're going to deal with it because it's a big su- subject in, in a later podcast. How would you describe advanced care planning? You know, to, to somebody who knows nothing about this, how how would you describe it? Annie, you and I have had this chat before. Yes, we, we talked about we talked about choices and and um, preferences and and needs. What the patient needs, um, what the patient would like. So uh, we talked about a, a patient who had a couple of dogs, didn't we? Yeah. And um, they were on their own and. Uh, when they knew when they wouldn't be able to look after themselves at home when they were dying. So they arranged that the dogs would be looked after and cared for and that was sorted. And the patient then did come into the hospice here and the dogs had already been sorted out. So it's that it can be that type of okay. um, organisational yeah. advanced Ooh. care planning. But it, it can also be more... Spiritual as well. Yes, yes. Okay, tell us more about that. Um, advanced care planning is is that. It's advanced. You're thinking of the time in advance of it mm-hmm. and planning for that time. Um, 
and as Annie says, you'd be, you know, practically, lots of people make a will, don't they? That's yeah. advanced care planning. Yeah. Okay. They're thinking about a time they won't be here and they want to secure their assets and go to the right place and so on. Um, so that's that's and you know one of the things that we talk about in advanced care. So it planning. could be the funeral. It could be absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Plastic power could be of attorney. your preferred place of death. Absolutely. absolutely. You want to be yes. In the yeah. hospice or or at home. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. it's encouraging people to think about that time that's going to come which then helps to lead on to some of the other conversations about how that might look and you know what would it where where people want to die as you say yeah. how it might look what kind of support and help is available to them yeah. all that is part of advanced care planning it's thinking ahead about a time that's coming and mm what's important to the patient to be put Which arguably way. then can lead on to a peaceful death Absolutely. because yeah. you've organised where you want to be, what mm. you want to do, everybody's sorted mm. and you, you feel happier about yeah. that. And it gives an opportunity to, to acknowledge that death is coming so that's also part of how it helps people yes. come to terms isn't it because yes. they're yeah. voicing it and having to acknowledge to themselves yeah, that this time yeah. is coming and then you would also lead on to conversations about how to recognize that that yeah. time is coming so yeah. it it builds all on all those communication skills as you said yes. before mm -hmm. and it's building layers and undoing layers you know it can go both ways mm -hmm. it, it's trying to address what people are really mm -hmm. thinking and any concerns they've got about that time yeah. isn't it? And but these are difficult conversations that actually the health professional has to raise mm, with the yeah. patient often, and, um, they... and these are these are conversations. I'm always always in awe listening to you both and your colleagues. These conversations that you're having in people's homes, and Josie, we've talked about this before about it being a privilege to mm. be in someone else's home. You're not in the hospice; mm -hmm. you're in their home, and that that. Yes. It comes back to what and you're saying, And it's very much it? then on their terms, isn't yeah. it? Which is their really, so that's the, yeah. the joy of working in people's yeah. homes, is that actually they're in control, it's their home, you're the visitor, mm -hmm. and actually they decide what happens, and that's the joy, mm. that's the joy, isn't yeah. it? That's yeah. why you both yeah. like yeah. 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 Just before we come to a close, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you the thing, tell me the thing that you love most about your role. Um, I think you've touched on it in terms of the joy and the privilege of working in someone's mm. home, but it is very different to what I think a lot of people associate. They hear the word hospice mm. and they think of a building. For you and your colleagues, it's not. It's it's about someone's home. Mm. It often is the little things. I mean, we can probably readily say it's great if you get somebody who's been in pain pain controlled and far more comfortable. That's really rewarding. You know, Absolutely. you can provide that nursing care that actually physically makes them feel more comfortable um, I think the the other things that really want you know make the job worthwhile are the things you hear back from families and right. quite often it's just these little comments sometimes isn't mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. sometimes people will say you know you were you were just you just always listen to me yes. even um, we were looking recently weren't we about um, stories to take to the trustees yes, about yes. what went well and one of our admin, um, her story was the fact that this somebody had phoned up, a patient's um, relative had phoned up and was really angry because 
or, or distressed is probably a better word, because they had a problem with equipment that had arrived and then it had broken and then they'd had to order it again and they were, it was all taking time. And actually the, the admin person said, oh, I'm really sorry that I can't help you. You know, there's nothing I can do to help you. And the relative said, you've done it. You've just listened to me. Yes, and sometimes yeah. that's as much as you need to do. And it's great when you hear that and when you when people say what a difference something has made, whether it's the yes, symptom management or whether it's just somebody being there. And yeah. um, so that... It's really a whole team it. effort there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. It's, yeah. you know... A colleague that works in admin that, yeah. that helps yes. by, by yeah, listening, absolutely. by being yeah. on the end of the phone absolutely. and not relaying someone yeah. to somewhere else. Yeah. I think it's also the privilege of being in somebody's life, isn't yeah, it? At, at the, the, mm. that difficult time of death, and it's mm. very emotional, very like birth, really, mm. isn't it? it? Is, yeah. And okay. um, and it's it's just being there and and people often allowing you in mm. to their innermost thoughts mm -hmm. and. Um, it's a, it's a real that's a real privilege. Yeah. Mm. Really. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. Um, we're going to include Annie and Josie's details in terms of email. So if you've got any questions, um, please do contact us. Annie, Josie, thank you both so much. You're welcome. Thank you. If you feel this has been helpful to you and will be useful for someone else, please do share it. We'll be with you again soon, talking through a different palliative care subject. To make sure you don't miss the next one, simply choose the subscribe option. Thank you for listening today.